Welcome to the Talent Acquisition Innovators Radio, the podcast for talent acquisition aficionados, HR lovers, and the recruitment connoisseurs out there looking to get inspired and challenge traditional approaches to hiring. Here, we'll discuss the ins and outs of the recruitment process, engaging fresh talent, managing tough internal hiring dilemmas, and of course, the future of talent acquisition. I'm your host, Adri Smith from Recruity. I'll be quizzing the experts, asking the burning questions, and of course, bringing you great guests each episode. By the end of every episode, we'll offer a few hypotheticals and of course, tips to take back to your team and workplace. Data-driven recruitment is one of the biggest trends currently hitting the talent acquisition community. But when it comes to implementation, there are still a lot of questions. Today, I'm joined by Dutch WebShark, including Kevin Gallagher and Joey Coxell. A big welcome to you both. I'm Joey Coxell. I'm from Dutch WebShark. I'm one of the tech leads for the all uh, tech projects at Dutch WebShark. I literally work generally in term and consultancy at the our clients, basically. I'm an expert in sourcing and also hybrid of recruitment as well. So I'm Kevin Gallagher, data analyst for Dutch WebShark, basically responsible for the whole data warehousing and data analysis that we do for our clients and shareholders. I have a background in sports analysis, but made a change into recruitment a couple of years ago. And uh, yeah, working for Dutch WebShark. So it's a, a basically a data-driven recruitment company where we try to use the power of data to uh, help us get more efficient in our jobs of being recruiters, but also helping our clients understand where the problem is coming from. So basically, that's why we have a a team of analysts around uh, every facet of the company, trying to uh, gather information and find new ways to leverage the data to, to help us improve. As a starting point, when we talk about data-driven recruitment, what exactly are we talking about? And can you define it for us? For me, it's very much about uh, conscious recruiting. It's it's trying to be conscious about what you do and how you can uh, become better at the job that you're trying to do. Uh, because data is such a large world, really. You, nowadays, you're able to track almost everything you want. And if you can't track it at the moment, you'll be able to find ways to track new metrics. So. Uh, in that sense, it is a very large subject when you start about talking about data. And that's why uh, what our team is trying to do is we're always just trying to start with questions. So if, as soon as you have a question about something, then you can start to uh, figure out a way to uh, answer that question. And data, a lot of the times, helps you in finding the answer. Yeah, basically, it's a fact-based recruitment. You know, it's not about hearsay or gut feeling or you reckon. It's all about having the proper numbers and proper fact base, and then you can work from that point onwards, basically. That is our data recruitment process. And when it comes to the origins, or at least the starting point for a lot of recruitment processes, which is sourcing, what are the best ways to actually, easiest and best ways to uh, enable data-driven recruitment? Well, actually, we have a totally different approach from that. We believe the fundamental quality of Data, uh, data recruitment is, is start with the intake, actually. Because before, without any intake, what you're looking for, so you can't be able to source. You need to have proper details of what you're looking for, which area, all the fact needs in front of you to be able to do start your sourcing. So what we do, we do a proper intake, which is detailed intake. The, not just the location and language, and then we ask some questions, and uh, not just the normal 
technical skills, also behavioral skills as well, we always ask. So when we gather that all our information together, then next level will be our sourcing, which we use uh, before the sourcing because of this information, we create our report, which Kevin explained a little bit more regarding that report as well. That gives us a better indication how our funnel is going to be, uh, where it's going to be, what we are looking for will be more detailed. But Kevin, can you give us a little bit more detail regarding the VMA? Yeah, what Joey is talking about is the uh, one of the reports that we created is a vacancy market analysis, and it's a uh, advice report to advise the sources, but also the shareholders on where the market opportunities are for sourcing. So a lot of times, when a business or a shareholder or a client comes to a recruiter. They'll be, well, I'm trying to find a certain type of professional and I'd like you to go into the market and find them. But instead of going directly into the sourcing, we will start with an analysis part where we create a report and look at the competition. So where is the competition coming from in, your, in the region? Because that affects the way that you're able to attract uh, professionals. Like, well, in easy ways, it's, it's harder to uh, employ uh, software developers in Silicon Valley than somewhere else, the, the, the terms of employment will be different, the driver will be different. Yeah. So these are things you have to be conscious about. And the other one is, uh, where are the professionals that you're trying to look for? So if you ask a, uh, a hiring manager what the ideal candidate is, it'll probably come with a profile that is very scarce. And that's very hard for a recruiter then to, to fill. And to help power that conversation, we create a report to show the hiring manager what his uh, demands are basically doing to the market. So it also opens up the conversation where we can say, hey, if you are a little bit more flexible about the type of skills that you're asking, or maybe the, the years of working experience, that'll have a result in find, being able to find a lot more uh, professionals that we're finding at the moment, and thus improving the chance of, of successfully filling the job. Also, location-wise, so uh, we use the report very much to look at, okay, what is the effect if we start sourcing outside of Amsterdam or the region, region that you're trying to source for, uh, even as far as trying to go internationally? So it opens up the conversation to be able to make sure that you talk about the important sub subjects that you need to be able to have an effective source cycle. How often do you see, particularly when you're looking at these market reports, how often do you see the data being rejected by actual people? Not very much. A lot of the times it opens up a conversation about the profile because uh, we create a report with a certain amount of information. And after we then have a, a meeting and we present the report to the, to the business or to, the, to HR, you'll have a conversation, well, maybe they were looking for a little bit of a different type of professional that'll change the numbers directly. So. It happens that we create a report and the numbers are a little bit different after the after the meeting. So we'll, we'll change the way that we're looking at the market afterwards. But overall, I'd say people are happy that they have an, an insight into the, the project and the challenge. And uh, I haven't had any moments where people rejected really the, the, the data that we were showing. Okay. Maybe questioned. That's true. Questioned, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, questions a lot because it's... Um, something new, you know, is is the the. I mean, the, our report doesn't only show the numbers; it also show that you know the where the people are, what the re region they're in, and what will be their behavior as well, and what's the competition within the area we're looking for. So that that is, is always we get question, you know, why do you do this? Why should you do this? And then 
also it helps us out as well when we literally do intake. That gives us an indication like when we sit down with the hiring managers and that report says, actually, this is not what I'm looking for. So we got a chance to see that exactly where the, uh, the loop is, where the problem is. So we can make sure the people we're looking for or the profile we're looking for is corrected uh, on the uh, sourcing, basically. Mm-hmm. Then, then we move to sourcing basically Mm -hmm. because we're ready we've done everything everything is ready the report has been shown and then we start to source and that sourcing is is literally when we start sourcing we make sure we use our proper channels which is different sourcing channels and our ats because um, on that process we we're talking to people because we need to get some hard data for it and this, while you're doing this hard data, depends on the, what people looking for or what kind of sector they're in. We got specific questions for them. The reason we got specific questions because if you say hypothetically, we got a six months uh, project going on, and the third month we always sit down with the data and the recruitment department. We're going through what we gather from the market as a questioning, you know, what, what, what was the result, what was the reaction towards the company name and branding, which we call RTA, but I'm going to give it again to Kevin to explain RTA report is because it's very, very important to understand the data in a more um, detailed way. So, yeah, so sourcing uh, cycle, uh, one of the things that when we start a project up is uh, you try to make a forecast on your funnel. Mm-hmm. So because I think a lot of recruiters know the term conversion ratios. Uh, It's something that that we hear about a lot. But for us, it's one of the most important metrics that we track because that basically shows the efficiency of our recruiters in different steps of the the process. So we do a forecast and then after a certain while, we reflect on these ratios and we can see if we're hitting them or not. Uh, So after like, let's say half the project, we can see if the project is running on, on point and if we're actually working towards the end result that we're aiming for, if we're going to get to the KPI that we, that we uh, want to get to. And what comes in um, finding out if we're, if we're on track, it's fine. If we're not on track, we have to ask a question, why? And that's where uh, information comes in, where we track information about why people are, uh, are positive in the sourcing cycle and maybe negative about the sourcing cycle, why they're dropping out of the process. Mm-hmm. But also, as soon as you speak to people on the phone, there's a lot of interesting information that you can catch during that phone conversation. Everything around mobility, about personal drivers, about uh, working conditions, but also employer branding. Uh, If you're a corporate recruiter, it's about your own employer branding, but also for agencies, it's about the employer branding of of the clients. Mm -hmm. And that information can be very valuable for the the HR, the recruiting uh, um, department, but also the business. Mm -hmm. So this information we use to be able to find out maybe why a project is not running the way that we would expect it to run, but also try to ask questions about how can we do better next time. Yeah, as literally show their uh, reputation out there, basically mm-hmm. brand names and reputation. So, and it will definitely help them with the EVPs as well for the HR, so they can look into it, how they can change it, create a new strategy to make sure whatever the brand they're representing. So they can make it a better for reputation for their name, basically. So I wanted to actually pick up on this topic because I think what a lot of what you're saying kind of mirrors what we've done in marketing, which is kind of make things a little bit more data-driven, track different points, uh, work in a funnel. But I think branding is often 
still kind of undermeasured, even in marketing. Yeah. How do you measure this in a recruitment perspective? There's a couple of standard questions that we always ask everybody that we, uh, that we speak to on the phone. And it basically starts to, have you ever heard of the company? Uh, but also when you think of the company, do you have an association? And uh, is there any reason that you could think of why would you, why you would like to work for the company or you wouldn't? Uh, and I think that information from one person is interesting, but if you have it from a thousand or from 2000 people, then it becomes very interesting data that can have an impact on the organization because it shows the way that people are uh, looking at the brand. And uh, I agree in a, in a marketing sense, I always think of recruiting becoming more and more about marketing as well as uh, you're trying to reach a large amount of people and uh, trying to get a, a message across. And the employer branding uh, helps it in that sense. You basically have two types of brands. You have your employer brand and you have a lot of companies have consumers and you have your consumer brand. So what we see sometimes is that a, a marketing department of a company will be uh, pushing for, an, for a consumer brand. And what's interesting to see is what is the effect of that consumer brand on the employer brand? Likewise for a company that is a price fighter, uh, but they need to employ professionals that are very much about delivering quality. Uh, so in that sense, you're pushing for a consumer brand where you will have a uh, competing price. But the people that you want, you need to uh, work for you are people that have to deliver quality. Now that consumer brand is not going to attract the employers. Mm -hmm. And these are issues that we try to basically show the shareholders and the clients in a report. And then it's something that they can, that they can, they can pick up on and improve. I think in that sense, a lot of the subjects that we analyze and the conclusions that we have out of the reports, it's what Joey said in the beginning is a very much, it's fact-based. So a lot of recruiters and HR professionals that we speak to, they, a lot of the times already have a gut feeling why they're having a hard time finding professionals and what the data reports do is it gives them proof. So sometimes you need that proof or that piece of paper to be able to convince someone within the organization. It could be your manager, or it could be uh, someone uh, even higher up in the board uh, to be able to make a strategic decision, which will improve the chance of you being able to hire the talent that you're trying to attract. Yeah, a super helpful tool, basically. to show it to the whole organization where the red flags are where the areas you need to work on, basically. The value of data-driven recruitment is actually not undeniable, but it's very clear. Yeah. And I think, you know, moving towards fact-based recruitment is, you know, crucial. This conscious recruiting is a really good approach. What's the biggest challenge that you've seen towards implementing this kind of recruitment? It's the scope of data. And when people start talking about data, it's so large, it's very hard to make it small. So that makes it, it's very hard to ask the right questions as well. But being able to do an effective analysis or research, you have to have a very precise and measurable question. And I'd say that is one of the most difficult parts of the data-driven recruitment that I've come across. Yeah, also, you know, a lot of recruiters going to agree with me is a very much uh, candidate driven market at the moment, um, especially if you look into tech, you know, 
And we need to have those data to make sure uh, we do the proper effective sourcing and engaging people. So without data, you know, you can source a thousand people, but you won't get any results. But with the data, you can source and search right people, and engage the right people, and hopefully get the hire as soon as possible. What are the first uh, pieces of data that people should start tracking? Conversion ratios. Yeah. And where exactly? Along the funnel that you're influencing. So a conversion ratio basically go, uh, goes from the start of contact until, well, depends on, on, on your role, can be until the customer satisfaction or until the quality of the hire. So some companies will uh, stop their conversion ratios at hitting their target. And a target could be a short list of five people, but a target could also be, I need to have a hire. Or a target could be, no, I don't need a hire. I need a hire that's still going to be there in three months. And these are the ratios and these, these steps you can divide into a connection ratio, an interest ratio, a interest to being able to reach them on the phone ratio, a ratio of how many people that you've talked to you can actually put on your shortlist, mm-hmm. how many people on your shortlist are actually going to be invited to the company. And all these little steps, they give you a little bit of insight of how effective you are in different parts of your uh, your recruitment cycle. It shows the bottlenecks. And for a very easy uh, comparison in, in ratios is uh, the difference between different target groups. So someone who's in marketing or sales are generally people who are very open and easy to communicate with. Uh, they'll be pretty quick in, in giving their telephone number or showing interest to be able to have a conversation. So the ratios in interest and uh, connection are, are pretty, quite high there. But as soon as you have them on the phone, that's when they start evaluating if it is or isn't interesting for them. So then the interest ratios after speaking to them on the phone will be a lot lower. If you're talking about IT and tech, it's the other way around. You'll see that the conversion ratios at the start are very low because they are very conscious about who they who they talk to. They're very they know that there's a lot of a lot of people out there that are trying to reach them. And before they actually engage, they've already thought about, is this interesting for me? So if you get a telephone number from an IT or tech professional, the chance is quite high that they're actually generally interested in what you have to say and that they'll go through. And these differences in ratios, and this is a very, I think think someone that everybody out there will know as well. If you're in recruitment, you know it's easier to get a telephone number from marketing than someone from IT. But it's a starting point of asking why. Why is that happening? Because you see a difference and it's like, okay, what's the reason behind it? And how can I improve? Well, I totally agree with him. You know, it's, it's all about really knowing the ratios and then dividing them depends on the sector, what you're looking for. And asking questions, again, very important. That will be the, your uh, fundamental beginning, uh, the start point, basically. And then you can literally evaluate cons- constantly and then uh, create your next strategy. And then hopefully get the target you want to hit. It strikes me that consistency is really key in order to make data-driven recruitment actually work for you. Yeah. How much consistency though? Is there a specific time frame or frequency? Yeah, we do. This is like, as Kevin mentioned earlier, um, depends on the, uh, the ratios from the after intake report will give us an indication how long will it take in could be in in months hours or however we see the project will give us an indication and get generally six between 70 percent result of how long it's going to take 
So more consistency, yeah, that's correct. But uh, I would say more using the data and putting the effort to get to the target, basically, in my view. <laughs> Would you say consistency in tracking data or consistency in reporting data? Both. It's at both. I think it's on both sides, yeah. right? Yeah, it is. One of the big challenges for us at the data department is making sure everybody keeps tracking. Because <laughs> it, that's a part of how can you start using data is, is you have to start tracking, and that's an effort. It starts with you have to put an extra effort in to get something out. So a lot of the times I have to be a bit of a police agent to make sure that everybody keeps putting their information of their projects in, of the professionals they talk to, can check, it, check if they're registering everything correctly and if they're understanding the questions correctly. And that's something that, that takes time. And it's something that if you don't do it correctly, you're going to get wrong conclusions out of your information, out of your data. And also, yeah, yes, you have to keep your shareholder engaged. So you have to very carefully pick and choose the moments that you want to share information with them to achieve basically the goal you're trying to achieve with your, with your reports. And that is making an impact in a positive way. A lot of the times it's about trying to advise a department or a company about how they can change to improve the way that they're able to track their, their professionals. So I want to pick up on this thing that you said about sharing data, like when to share data. In your opinion, are there any bad times to share data or are there any pieces of data that you might not want to share with your stakeholders like hiring managers? Well, the data we're talking about is just literally anonymous data, uh, but you know, um, not as a personal data. So it's all about the market report, basically. I don't see a danger. It's just because it's our uh, aim to help to our shareholders, hiring managers, or by all means clients to see how they look like within the market or what the market looks like. So um, always help, but of course, you know, um, there are certain people, some give some feedback about the companies and we'll always be conscious about how we're going to bring it across the clients. So, except that I don't see any danger. Do you see any danger in that, Kevin? I'd say the frequency, people are getting used to data more and more. You're getting more graphs on every single application on your phone, every single piece of software that you use is nowadays offering dashboards and offering reports. And that makes it that people are getting used to being able to read the information and that makes sure that they can actually consume more information as well. Uh, so one of the things I'm seeing lately, I'd say in the last year, is that people are actually demanding to see more information and on a re more regular basis as well. So I'd say for us, we're talking very much about reports. And I'd say the next step for us is dashboards. Because a report, basically the, the moment you make a report, it's already history. Because the day you present it is a day later and it's going to be da data of the day before. So... A lot of the, uh, consumers, I think, nowadays are looking for real-time data. They want to have a, an insight into how is it going at this moment. So for us, well, we will be moving towards that as well to make sure that we can deliver the data and share the data, not on the moments that we choose, but that the consumer can choose when they want to see the data. Yeah, I think it's a very important point. Uh, I, I, yeah, I just want to show a different perspective in regards to this subject, as literally... As a sourcer, and a lot of sourcers out there would agree with me, we can't find anybody 
no problem. There's a lot of techniques. There's a lot of tools out there. We can't find the right people. But the bringing those right people to the right places is a little bit of a challenge. And if you're working with some certain brands, you need to make sure uh, those uh, brands' uh, culture, the brand product, uh, the nicheness or uniqueness of the product should be visible. And this is how data will help them out to make sure they represent and uh, visible their brand out there. So this is how we help people to attract really good, best candidate out there to their own company, basically. Mm -hmm. So I think we've talked a lot about how data-driven recruitment and data in general benefits both clients, employers, um, recruiters, etc. How does it benefit candidates? If companies are more effective and know better which professionals to engage with, I think you'll see less mass engagement. And uh, one of the main frustrations on the side of the professionals is recruiters that spam and companies that spam. They're, they're throwing it out there and not really knowing who they want to target and hoping that they get a response. And especially the, the, the professions that are sought after quite intensively, uh, you can see that these professionals are, are uh, it's a frustration point. I'd say if you can help the clients and the professionals and the recruiters be more effective in targeting the right people, you'll get less frustration. Another side is uh, we have been talking very much about shareholders and, and, and working on the client side or working for your departments or the business side, but this information can help people finding new uh, jobs as well. It is something that we're uh, slowly looking to as well is that uh, you can turn the reports around. A vacancy market analysis can be something for a company to find out, okay, where are the professionals looking for? What are their drivers? What are they looking for? How can I engage with them? For, but for professionals, it can be, which jobs do I actually have to choose from in the city? Which companies are looking for talent uh, like I am? Uh, and which opportunities do I have? Or even which other professionals are there in the city that match my skill set? And would I want to be able to engage with them? So I'd say if you're using uh, the information, it's the, basically the same information, but turning the consumer around would be an interesting perspective as well. If you know the company's culture very well and the product, and then if you approach the right people, and if you put in the right wording, it's always benefits for the candidates. Because I, I you know, recently I received an email from uh, uh, the tech developer. He was very appreciated. I sent him a where I calling from when I send him why I approached him. I literally explained the culture and the product. He would be quite a good match. He was really happy and appreciated. So it's all about getting the right details together and make sure bring it across to the candidates and they will, I'm sure they will always appreciate it. And my last question for you guys. Yeah. How can you be transparent about the way that you use data, both on the candidate side and on the client side? Well, it's, it's actually very, very important because as a recruiter, responsibility to make sure you know you protect every data of the candidates, and that is uh, at the moment we got a new law came in. We need to be very, very careful. It's called GDPR. Mm -hmm. That is not a guideline. I'll make it very clear. It's a law, so you need to be transparent and you need to make sure you follow all the. Uh, rules and regulations towards it. For both parties, so for the companies, clients, shareholders, but also for the candidates, being transparent about the information you gather and the information you use and share 
is critical in creating a trusting relationship with each other as well. And that's nowadays data and information and, and it's a hot topic in the world and everybody is worried about how companies and personal information is being used. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think as a recruiter, you have a responsibility to be transparent about it. The law that the GDPR law that Joey was talking about, it basically it's an enforcement for something that we should be doing already. Uh, in my opinion, it's uh, you should always be transparent. And you should you should always tell someone uh, what you're going to do with their information and uh, make sure that you handle it in a good way and you make sure that it doesn't get shared to people that that person may, might not want their information to be shared with. It's a bit of a transition we're going through at the moment. Is that a lot of people and companies they they weren't used to having to be able to communicate the way that they handle their data. Now all of a sudden they do. So it's something that we all have to get used to. We all have to put a lot of effort in. But if you go down to the basics of it, I think it's a responsibility we all have. Mm -hmm. Nobody would want their, their information to be able to be shared freely into anybody. To anybody. And uh, because as a recruiter, you you get personal information that is quite sensitive. Yeah. Quite delicate. Uh, yeah, it's, it's delicate. So it's responsibility you, you have and you have to be careful with it. And we are candidates as well. You know, we need to be careful. So we need to put ourselves in a candidate's shoes as well. So, we, you know, as I said, it's just, there's law for it. We need to make sure we respect that and, and share all the transparency with the candidates. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. Uh, hope to have you back soon. Great. Wow. Thank you. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks. Thanks again for joining us on the Talent Acquisition Innovators Radio. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And of course, if you did, feel free to share it on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you're most active. And if you'd like to be updated on when our next podcast is going to be released, you can sign up at blog.recruity.com slash podcast. See you in the next one.